This is episode three of the Now Is podcast. My name is Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast, at least for the time being, is to do a recorded version of the concept you might know from Downbeat Magazine's Blindfold Test and The Wire Magazine's Invisible Jukebox, to play tunes for musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. What follows is a conversation that I had with Mark Shippey on September 13th, 2015, in his kitchen in Humboldt Park, Chicago. Mark's a guitarist who's been playing in bands in Chicago for over 25 years. He's best known for his playing in U.S. Maple. The intro music that I played is from the song Bumps and Guys from that band's 1999 album Talker. His current main band is a duo with musicologist Jim Sykes called Invisible Things, and the song you'll hear at the end of this interview is Rockets, from their new album, Time as One Axis. Mark also played in Shorty before U.S. Maple, along with U.S. Maple singer Al Johnson, and Miracle Condition After, along with U.S. Maple drummer Pat Sampson. He also played in Marty Stern's live band for a bit. On top of that, he makes solo music under the name Secret Means of Escape, and sometimes performs in ad hoc improvised contexts. Mark's also a very sweet guy who's clearly seen a dizzying array of bands over the years. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store. Perhaps you already have. You can also stream it at nowis.org, N-O-W hyphen I-S dot O-R-G, where you also found information about all the tracks that I played for Mark. To find out more about Mark's recordings, upcoming shows, and that sort of thing, you'll have to Google that shit, because he doesn't have a website. Okay, Mark Shippey. It definitely sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like it should be something coming to me right away. Something what? Um, it's not some Kevin Shea thing, is it? No, no. But there's one coming up along down the line. Um, it's definitely familiar, and out of all the, the stuff I know, it could be a, uh, one of those things. Yeah. That just isn't completely coming to me name-wise, yeah. but um, so it's a, lot, it's, a, it's a lot older than you're guessing. Um, hmm. Is it like an early '90s thing? Early '80s. Oh, early '80s. Yeah. Twenty-three Skidoo. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that is, but I want to know now. Um, it's not Swell Maps. not this heat. Nope. I, I mean, I know it's not this heat. Um, yeah, no, uh, early 80s. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll give you an even better hint. It's a band playing in the early 80s that was playing music not that dissimilar from this in the early 70s. Not King Crimson. No. Wait, what? I'll uh, tell you if you want to know. Why can't I think of it? Yeah. Literally. Yeah, it's just because it's such a weird... I mean, I wouldn't... I heard a, a track, not this one, but from this same yeah. album 
that somebody played for me, and I thought it was like I had I hadn't sliced that. It was it's a, it's Captain Beefheart. Oh, it is Captain Beefheart. I was get, that was gonna be the first thing I said. Yeah. And then I thought I'd offend a band that sounds like Captain Beefheart. Oh, really? That, yeah, U.S. Maple gets kind of offended by that. Really, uh, really. Captain Why is that? Because it's too obvious. Because we don't think we sound like Captain Beefheart at all. Um, well, and you know, I mean, definitely the singing is different, and yeah, the guitar playing, you know, and the drumming, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes there's similar things, but I just feel like it's, wow, that was going to be the first thing I said. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like Captain Beefheart, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not so familiar with Captain Beefheart oh, with really? all their okay. stuff. Oh, no, yeah, when, um, when, no, I mean, Trout Mask, um, Safe as Milk and, and Trout Mask Replica, I remember, were kind of college standards for parties and stuff. Yeah. Um, but for back then... For parties. Yeah, like, you know, well, you know, with the, uh, uh, the sort of the post-punk rock scene or whatever that was happening in college, you know, that's, that was a big influence for people, I think, was Captain Beefheart, and a lot of the hippie kids loved Captain Beefheart, too. Yeah. That's so funny, because I was, I was actually going to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is, this obviously is Morris Tepper period, so it, it has Morris Tepper in it. Okay. I would believe, right? I Early eighties. This one. Which um, one is this one? This is from Ice Cream for Crow. Oh wait, that's in the early eighties. Eighty-two. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, and I'm not super familiar with that period, but I do remember him being on like Dave Letterman. Yeah. And stuff. So seeing some of this stuff on TV and thinking it's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. Um, but then you didn't really follow up. You were interested. No, I mean, no. You know, I really, I really did love it. And stuff. Maybe I didn't like the name Captain Beefheart all those years. I mean, I, I knew about him in the 70s, you know. There were some the kids who had weird parents and loved yeah. Frank Zappa. Yeah. And, um, of course, I'd heard Hot Rats, and I really loved that record. Yeah. And it has him on there, too. And then all, a lot of that early 70s stuff is, is really great. Um, I just, yeah, it was just one of those things when you're a kid, you don't always remember stuff. You don't yeah. remember the names of things. Sure, yeah, yeah, You think there's a weird name, a weird-sounding named band and you just don't sure, so sure. much remember Okay, it. but I'm more, then I'm interested in this. I mean, I, I would not be surprised that it would be, it would be uh, irritating to be compared to them because it's, because <laughs> it's really obvious, but it seems, it seems, it's surprising to me and I'm going to, I'm curious to hear you defend it, that you don't oh. see the comparison, like the, yeah. uh, like just, you know, yeah, guitar parts that are, have kind of chromatic weirdness to them that um, follow like different rhythmic logic from each other that one guitar playing a part that's like fairly like a rock part while the other guitar sounds like it's trying to like undermine what the first one is doing it sounds like oh yeah in the general not to say that I it, can I can see that comparison definitely I guess I just thought we thought of US Maple as like I wanted people to listen to it as a whole yeah and all the stuff that I was doing off from Todd or if I created a piece and then I want it really was hoping or you know, Todd would do this on his own. I'm not saying I would uh, command things so much with the band. I sure. would maybe try to 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 do that secretly. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, um, but no. Todd is always was always good with just coming up with these sort of. Um, you know, he, he was good with coming up with these sort of melody kind of things, um, which countered whatever I was doing, and. Um, I can see what you're saying. I can see how people would make a comparison in some ways, um, but as far as a general a general statement about our music, I, I was kind of like, well, I, it, there's a lot more to it than just doing this disjointed um, 
blues things and you know the the this the Dada Howlin' Wolf kind of thing. Right. I mean, that's I don't not really think really... the vocals are very similar. I wouldn't. I'm, no. not, I'm only seeing it in terms of the the, the guitar playing and the and bass. And the oh yeah. I mean, I guess in the end result, I look at it as like the vocals were a very important thing because it kind of tied everything in together. And if Al was going along with my guitar parts or yeah. going along with something that Todd was doing, or even the drums, kind of, uh, yeah. that it was sort of like. Um, not just the icing on the on the cake, but more like um, a very important part of the 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 end result. Yeah, um, we we would have parts, and it wouldn't be so much improvising, like just going off on whatever scale, you know, twelve tone scale thing we wanted to do, or going to our own regions or whatever. Right. Um, it it would be more um, that we could take a part. And just kind of stretch it out. Yeah. And um, we were aware that it might have this sort of comic effect, you know, of course. Um, but at the same time, sometimes we weren't. Sometimes it was just something, a, a feel thing. Um, other times where it was like, oh, this feels good. Let's just keep going with this thing, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of go crazy on some part. Um, and I do think a lot of rock bands tend to do that sometimes. Sure. You know, like, I'm sure the Rolling Stones would do that with Sympathy for the Devil. They just go on and on with sure. some kind of jam thing. So it, it, it's almost like a jam thing in that sense, but not really. We didn't, we didn't, we looked at it as like we really want to control this thing yeah, yeah. and have an effect on people. And that's where the objectivity really came in too uh, with that as well. Just like, you know, we didn't want to just go off meandering. Yeah. We wanted to really keep it, you know, telling the story um, and, 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 and keep sticking to that story and, like, um, not going off into a totally different chapter, but maybe just expanding on the rising action or the denouement right. a little. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. It's not DNA, is it? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. I love DNA. DNA yeah, yeah. is like one of, you know, one of my favorite bands. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. It seems. I mean, it seems like a point of reference and like uh, I, guitar playing that gets fitted with the adjective scronky. Yeah. I mean, um, I think this is just a great period for music in general. Um, you know, if you watch the Music Wars and stuff like that, it's like some of this different style of guitar playing was coming to you know the almost mainstream world um, I mean DNA of course never got there yeah. but Gang of Four yeah. got got into a mainstream radio yeah. which was incredible and um, yeah I mean yeah I mean yeah I mean um, yeah I mean um, like I said this period too where like Paribu was kind of changing in the late 70s where it wasn't so much straight ahead new wave sort of punk sounding um, odd rock songs but yeah. more like 
this sort of all over the place mayhem with yeah. different instruments and melodicas and things, you know. Yeah. It's um, yeah, sort of organized mayhem, or somewhat organized mayhem, you know. It's Bastro. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. It's Gang of Four. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay, okay. It's Rima Rima. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's Big Black. Yeah, yeah. I, figured, I didn't think I was going to fool you with this one. It's like pretty. Um, yeah, so this is obviously like thinking of all the shit that I was aware of in the, yeah. you know, into the 90s in Chicago. This seems to be kind of like my history of it, history well, understanding is that this is like the birth of a lot of it. You know what's funny about the whole, for me, learning about Big Black in the mid-80s, like I was in college by this point, by the time they were uh, doing, by the time they were around, um, and I think wasn't, wasn't Steve Albini playing in Naked Reagan before that or something? I don't know, I know Jeff Fazzotti was playing in Big Black early on. Okay. Um, but I don't know who started first or whatever. I, I, I was a big fan of Naked Reagan, of course. Sure. And the Effigies before that. And um, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Tutu and the Pirates. Nope. Um, but, you know, and, and sadly, they just didn't get their um, yeah. day in the sun, really. Uh, but they really, Tutu and the Pirates really were responsible for starting this whole kind of punk rock thing in Chicago. Yeah. Maybe not responsible. I mean, there's, I'm sure there were myriad bands that don't get any well are they were they were the ones who you were first aware of or they were responsible for making a specific type of sound i think they were really um yeah like the, the type of punk rock yeah that the midwest well in the east coast and west coast here in the states was all sort of you know um the the the, the various u.s punk rock sounds yeah tutu and the pirates i think were a good representation well what, how would you describe that sound well, it was a little different than Crass or one of those, but it was similar, you know, to that kind of like new punk sound of the later '70s. Right. Like, whereas like you had the Sex Pistols, and everybody wanted to be the Sex Pistols, but then like you know, Joy Division went off and did their own thing, and and thankfully they did. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, even though they claimed they wanted to be the Sex Pistols, and um, and then the Buzzcocks, you know, had this poppy made made it. Uh, so you could play it on radio, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and two two pirates were were um, a little more aggressive, I think. So it was going towards that effigies and naked ray gun. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was I was too young in the late '70s to really know what was going on. But right. by the early '80s, you know, I was going to punk rock shows. And there are bands like Articles of Faith and No Empathy and Out of Order. These bands that were really good. Um, I really didn't know about Big Black until going to dance clubs with girlfriends. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they played Big Black at dance clubs. At the time? Uh, yeah, and like what, like the Kraftwerk cover or something? What did they? Um, did they no, they play like Kerosene. Whoa. Um, and with that's a, with a dance beat or just straight up this song. People were out there just dancing to this, yeah. you know, and it was at these um, kind of a twee punk rock. Uh, dance places um, and I mean I guess it is kind of like gothy kind of like gothy dance music yeah uh, 
Oh yeah, there was this one club out in the suburbs called McGreevy's, and you had to be under 21 to go there. Okay. So I barely made it, you know, I was like 18 or 19, and I would go, and there was like little kids with mohawks running around, yeah, yeah, and there was yeah. the goth room. Oh yeah. But actually, they that was more for like Susie and the Banshees, and um, you know, Bauhaus, and uh, the stuff like that was played there, but, if, but the... Like, um, I think Tones on Tails had just come out with their first record. The Tones on Tails and other stuff was played in the jungle room next door. Okay. Because it was more like boppy and dancey. Yeah. The goth room had more like what you, you know, Joy Division and stuff like that. And the more Doom stuff. Right. Dark Wave. And more the Dark Wave. Right. And you go know, in the other room and it's more of the dance stuff. That's where Big Black was played. It was Whoa. in the jungle room. Whoa. That's crazy. <laughs> where it was like... Um, and this isn't homophobic at all, but it was the gay guys with their shirts off dancing with each other, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and sweating to sure. kerosene. Yeah, in the I mean, mid '80s, I can I can kind of see that. I mean, like this kind of music, I and mean, a lot of what I think of is that kind of Midwestern, uh, or really just generally like that period of like post-hardcore has like a funky rhythms, like rhythms that could, they're like it's like a sterile polyrhythmic kind of thing. Yeah, it's all because of Talking Heads. You think no, so? I know. I, <laughs> I, I, I always thought their early records they were just these funk sort yeah. of records. I didn't even think of it as punk or new wave. The early wave. Talking Heads records. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but no, but even something like, you know, like like the the kind of genre I'm thinking of, this sort of post-hardcore thing, like yeah. the apotheosis of this is like Jesus Lizard. Yeah, um, but but even even like Shorty, I listen to like you know, they, there's like songs that have kind of like a, you know, they have like kind of oh, a, yeah. almost hip hop inflected shuffle or something. Oh well, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Thanks. I, I like it when there's a different angle on it. I uh, you know Shorty. Um, I'm not saying that's like the main thing I get from it, but it has. It's not like in contrast to hardcore, which is much more of like a polka beat, you know, like a marching beat. Yeah. You know. Well, what I really loved about the Black, though, is just the wall of sound with that noise, with that really crunchy um, and very trademark sound yeah. that he got from that, um, I forget what it's called, Inner Sound or something, this, this company that was making these transistor amps, I think in the 70s, and I think out of Missoula, Montana, or somewhere in Montana. Yeah. I'm not sure. I might be wrong with that story. Right, right. I remember asking... Um, Steve Elvini about it in the early 90s when we were recording with him and I was looking at the amp and I was trying to get some weird sound on on a couple of the songs on Shorty Record but I didn't necessarily want to have that right you know and he's like well you can kind of dial it in, in differently and, and, and temper the, the crunchiness and make it sound a little differently so I was like alright maybe we can just like ma you know mask it you know, you know put it in there um, and in the end, I'm like, oh my God, it just sounds like Steve's back there playing with oh, us. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, you know, I think it worked in the whole context of, of things. And um, like Six Finger Satellite, there was a couple other bands. Bastro got that sound yeah. in the early, had that real trademark crunchy sound. Yeah, Bastro would also be an example of what, like I'm talking about, like kind of more rhythmically interesting, but still has like the dominant vibe is like a guy shouting at you. Yeah, like, well, you know, and not not just a guy shouting, but a guy shouting like at you, like I yeah. hate you in some form or another. Yeah, yeah, I think that that was I think the um, journalistic, and he was a journalist at Northwestern. He, that's what he was doing. He was a, he had a double major, I believe, in journalism and in art. Yeah, 
and I don't know if you heard his, about his final art project no. dissertation. Oh, it was something with where he's behind plexiglass and, oh, and he's he wanted people, people to throw yeah. bricks and try to break the plexiglass. Yeah, he's like trying to offend people. Yeah, I think somebody eventually did shatter the plexiglass. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Um, they were so angry at him. Now, is this Kevin Shea? No. Oh, I thought there's no moto at first. Oh, wait. Wait, is this Nick? Sakes? Is this no. Uh, Nick Melvoy? No, Sakes. No. I thought it was like Sick Bay or Colossus. I don't know. Wait, okay, wait. Um, this is honestly just me trying to find, like, what in my mind is a representative example of like late 90s Midwest like post-hardcore prog influenced music. Oh, is it Neutrino? No, it's somebody like that. I could have played Neutrino too. That would have been another one I thought of. Oh, because those are good friends. And, and uh, Oh yeah, and then I wish I had played Neutrino. Oh, yeah. I, like, I have that one Neutrino album. It's really good. I think I would have recognized, you know, it's been a while since I've listened to a lot of that stuff, but I should be more well acquainted okay. than I am. Um, let's see, this is... So it's not Colossomite. It is Colossomite. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's Nick Sakes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, from Dazzling oh, yeah, Kilman. I knew it wasn't Guitar, Dazzling yeah. Kilman. Yeah. But I figured it was probably something just post Dazzling yeah, Kilman. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Oh, so sorry. Okay. Sick Bay. Was I retract my note. You got it first. <laughs> no, no, no. But I should have said Colossomite. Um, yeah, yeah. Great band. When Dazzling Kilman disbanded, it, it almost just felt like a family member leaving, you know, or something. Yeah, I mean, it was um, kind of a sad moment, you know, like just uh, love those guys together, you know. And Blake went off to New York and started playing with the Mars Volta people. Um, well, Ladio Blanco. Okay. And um, maybe that was a little later than Colossomite, I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, just this period and and him finding these great musicians up there. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. really great. Um, my, I, what do you think about my contention that uh, I was saying I was trying to find a representative like Prague influence thing? I, I have this, I have this perception, and maybe it's based on a narrow range of fans, not a full representative ones but yeah um, that especially in like chicago area like louisville places like that there was this seemed to be this thing where like it wasn't it was not only at this time period not only like okay but actually like necessary to have like at least 18 parts in your song or something you know like in contrast to <laughs> now you know and like and i mean that in a good way like i love you know we'll call it math rock or call it whatever you want to call it like there was well, that's what I really like, like this song you're playing. And yeah. I miss, you know, I, sh I should get back to listening to this stuff more often. Um, I, it's been a while since I've, um, since this re I've listened to this record. But what I really like about Colossomite and also Sick Bay, um, those periods with Nick, is it's just, it's very kind of cinematic in a way. They go into these parts where, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, you know it's, um, it's like a different chapter altogether, you know, and, and then they go back to a different chapter and like the, with the 18 parts or whatever yeah. <laughs> with these songs. Um, I, you know, they did it in a very tasteful way, um, these guys and some of the other bands. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, that's a hard thing to do, 
for bands like they yeah. were trying to do that there were yeah. millions of bands just trying to do that and they'd open up for us and you know you um, you wanted to be a mentor but at the same time you just didn't know how to tell you know they get so excited about stuff yeah and they're like yeah well you know we're trying to be like Colossomite yeah. you know <laughs> but like right. it's it's not an easy thing to do to do it well yeah because it's you not you have, to, you have to have the songwriting you don't just have the arrangement yeah it's yeah right anybody can buy a dry erase board for their band practice room right it's, actually write good parts it's like Schoenberg said you don't want just a succession you want a progression but nobody's whistling Schoenberg, are they? <laughs> well said. Yeah, didn't Steve Reich say that? I think so, yeah. That's, that's the way I heard that. Yeah. 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 Were you listening to, like, prog records also? Or was it just about having more complicated music on it for its own sake? Um, if you're in that mood, it's great. You know, it's, like, great to hear something new and exciting with prog. Um, of course, when I was a little kid... You know, they didn't really use that term. It's like that term math rock. Yeah, yeah. Now that there's this, this contention about, you know, I've, I've had so many debates with friends. Yeah. You know, about like, when did math rock start? Well, it started, you know, there's yeah. so many younger people of a younger generation who think yeah. it started in the aughts. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm like, well, you know, but Ooh. when I was young, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> when I was young, we called Rush math rock. Caballero, or Hella, or um, something earlier. Is it Bill Bruford? Yeah. He doesn't really do that. You were a lot closer before. You've already guessed this. One. Oh, Kevin Shea. Yeah, yeah. This is. Wait, what, which one is this? God, he's he's had so many different things. Um, You'll get it in a second. Yeah, I knew it was an intro. Yes, this is the storm and stress thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, this, I love these guys. Yeah, so Ian Williams' guitar playing here, much more than it is in a lot of John Cab, also has that kind of like, like filling in negative space kind of like interjection thing. Yeah, it's kind of like the way, and, and this was nice, the way, um, I think it was Eric playing bass, how he just kind of comes in nicely with these things. And then the way that, I mean, I can't, I say it's like, Feldman, because Feldman kind of comes in with like blocks of colors, you know, or whatever it sounds. Um, and this is sort of a different way of doing that, you know, um, and still having this like uh, stuff in the background. But um, I guess it's, you know, like with the first Invisible Things record, yeah. it, it, this is sort of the thing that kind of influenced me with that, just kind of having. Yeah, why not have busy drums with nice mellifluous guitar? Why yeah, can't yeah, you yeah. do that? You, you, you can, you can. Yeah. Um, well, that's that also like, in contrast to Don Cab or U.S. Maple, I assume that like, there's more improvisation and invisible things, I assume, than U.S. Maple. That's my impression, listening to it. It sounds more like, I mean, there's a straight up song, but like, it sounds like what you're doing on a guitar when you're doing on drums is more open-ended. There's yeah, there's there's sections definitely where um, and where we try to be a little more open-ended. We just we don't want to just make it necessarily as straight as, as it is in practices. Like I said, we don't have a ton of time to practice, 
So like with the improvisation thing, we have to have like certain cues and then keep it within the guidelines of the song, so to speak. Right. But yeah, there's a little bit of freestyle yeah. here and right. there. Um, I mean, we try this, to do that. This band seems like it was people who were doing, you know, very structured music and are like, then like, hey, I think they did. Yeah. That's, but but in this in this, I mean, saying that previously in Don Cab. Because you know this is—I mean, this is two thirds of the, the last version of Duncap, and then at the same time they're doing this to like get out their improvisation. I thought that this was structured. Did, have they said it's not? Or? I guess I don't know. I thought—I mean, there's clearly parts like they just went to like part C or whatever. Here, yeah. But See, they, I love this where it's just like it, it's like this lull, like you know, this nice dreamy little section and. And I liked Ian's vocals for this stuff too when he was doing vocals. And yeah. uh, sometimes he would wear these vampire fangs, so his vocals would be a little bit garbled, and it was kind of nice. <laughs> I remember seeing them just clear the empty bottle, like the fir- one of the first shows. Yeah. Like all these Don Cab fans were there to see his new thing. Yeah. And I just thought it was amazing. And I'm sitting at the bar, getting into it, and just I wasn't glancing over the stage enough to notice after about 20 minutes, there were like, there were like a hundred people in the room and then there were just like two. <laughs> and so yeah. then I went up to the stage and, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like Offering listening to closer. Yeah. Well, plus there was room for me to stand there then. Yeah. Right. You didn't <laughs> want to compete with a bunch of like metal, metal bros. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it kind of saddened me. I was like, no, I like, I really like it. it was Kevin Shea, you know, and uh, just what they were all doing was, um, I thought the, best example of things that were um, people were trying to do at that time yeah. you know uh, do you would you call this like do you think that does this fall under the category of rock music or like I think of it that way you like know, anti-rock like, music or free rock music or way I don't really think of it that way because like you know I, I mean we can't I think you can use stuff like Frank Zappa and 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 Captain Beefheart and mid later uh, 70s Perubu as sort of templates. And when this heat, too, we were talking yeah. about is it prog rock? What is it? It's kind of it, like they went into so many, they, you know, they went into a direction where they just cut and pasted one thing and then kind of made it a little bit different, but it's a big, the whole thing's static. Yeah, and, and so many people, I think, just see things as uh, derivative of, of other things, you know, and like mm-hmm. when we were talking about the Cabin B part thing. I think a lot of people could look at that and say, it's got this disjointed thing, so it's very Captain Beefheart-ish, you right, know? Right, Whereas, I, I wouldn't look at it that way. I'd look at it a different way. Um, yeah, people can come to their own aesthetic conclusions yeah. that may be similar, but they come to it different ways. Well, and people, like, I don't know where we were. U.S. Maple was on tour in Atlanta, and I was talking about, they were asking what great bands are coming from Chicago, and I was like, oh, Storm and Stress, I just love them. And they're like, oh... Yeah, they're kind of just following in the U.S. Maple vein. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's different. Yeah, it's really not. Um, I mean, it's, it's a, I feel like statements like that are represent the limits of people's like sense of the possibilities of what, like the spectrum of options you can have. Yeah. You're like, you're like okay, you go, like if, if somebody has like, a verse chorus verse rock band you're not just like oh you're just like that one other because there's like a thousand of those yeah bands like that but if you're just like oh you're doing some kind of like squiggly guitar playing and like 
songs that don't take have an obvious structure it's suddenly you must be ripping off another band that does that well you know it's funny there's um, if you look at like a lot of people since they since people tend to um take the, the band's history and their scene that they're involved with and everything into um that you know they they seem to uh add a lot of weight or um, yeah there's a lot of weight to that um they don't really think uh, of because there's the, like listening to something just you know in its corporeal sense and then you know um, taking something and abstracting it into genres and stuff and, and, and scenes um, and, and how it pertains to the history mm-hmm. therein so like with me I tend to um, listen to things uh, differently maybe I, I don't know like uh, I remember hearing um, Cities and Dust for the first time on the radio back in the early 80s. What's that? Uh, Susie the Banshees, oh, okay. Cities and Dust. Yeah, yeah. And it was on a major radio station here, and I'm like, oh, this is a new Rush song. Rush has yeah. really gotten good again after that <laughs> awful Signals or whatever record. Now they've gotten good again. You know, because yeah. that was the first big concert I ever saw was Moving Pictures. Okay. And I was, you know, blown away. You know, I wasn't really into, I mean, you know, we're talking about prog. Well, I only really liked 60s prog when I was a kid. Yeah. I loved Gen- early Genesis, early ELP and stuff like that. Pre-brain salad surgery, uh, ELP and stuff like that. And, and early, yes. Uh, I liked that stuff, but then gradually I was more, more getting into punk and that kind of stuff. And, um, and, and so I just wasn't getting into the later uh, 70s and 80s prog as much. It's a very reasonable decision. Yeah, so like when I, you know, but but Rush, Moving Pictures, you know, was a fun concert. It, I, you know, will say uh, it was more my friends, like peer pressure getting, and plus I wanted to play guitar in bands, so I had to get every Rush and every Led Zeppelin record because of that. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I wanted to do stuff more like a two-way army. Yeah. But that's what these guys were into, and they were the only good musicians I knew in my little town. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I got to learn Rush. Yeah. And that's where we started, like, math rock. We're like, oh, dang, 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 dang. You know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is, like, in a different time signature. What, what, what do we do, you know? Um, and uh, so that was fun, learning a lot of that stuff. But then, you know, when, uh, what was it, Signals or Power Windows or whatever came out, um, it was just, like, uh, this different direction where I thought they were sort of becoming... Um, soft or something or like a little bit yeah. lame so when i heard the cities and dust on the radio I'm like they're coming back yeah 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 and, then and what, how did you find out it wasn't rush because they said this is susie and the banshees <laughs> <laughs> and they were coming so i went to see susie and the banshees you know and i liked early susie and the banshees but i think i only knew like their earliest period or whatever um a little bit at that time i was more into like hardcore and thrash at that point i think and uh, I just hadn't listened to that stuff in a while, and I didn't know what she was doing at that time. But she'd gotten that new guitarist, uh, John Valentine Carruthers, and um, they went on the road, and I saw him live during that tour, and it was yeah. it was amazing. Um, Budgie and Steve Severin, they're just great live musicians. It was just amazing. Um, and, and I didn't know that. I was like, I just thought she got like a bunch of hack musicians in the beginning and just did whatever. But what I was saying is kind of like when you hear things, the way people kind of compare things to everybody, like 
I would compare Susan Banshees with Rush, and I don't think anybody else would do that. I've, I've never had that thought before. And maybe it's just a certain <laughs> period for both bands, but you yeah. know, still, yeah, there can be that comparison. You know, Budgie and Steve Severin had that sort of, I think, prog sensibility. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Even even though you don't really think of it with them. Um, this, wait, this is, this is Miles Davis? Uh, very close. Miles isn't on this, but... Well, Sanders? Yeah. I can hear some guitar. So this is recorded within a few months of Bitches Brew with a lot of the same musicians. Oh, but uh, it's not. Herbie Hancock. No, uh, no. no well, actually, yeah, I should look up. Is Herbie on this? Herbie Hancock is not on this. Um... But, Oh wait, oh god, I know. I know who this is. Why it's it's somebody it's something it's fairly well known and I just can't. It's Wayne Shorter. Oh okay. Wayne Shorter, and it's yeah. under his name, but I mean it's a lot of the same. It's like Chikoria and, and right. Jack DeJanet and people like that. Um, but the guitar players, not to put you in total like guitar ghetto here of only listening <laughs> talking about guitars, but it's both John McLaughlin and Sonny Chirac. Oh, Sonny Chirac. It was this stuff on your radar all in terms of like coming up with some of the more oh, experimental yeah. guitar playing and oh yeah, I mean I you know um, especially with the wacky little noise runs and like the the scraping the strings under the bridge and stuff yeah. like that. I mean yeah, it's I you know all that stuff. Um, for different periods, for different things, it's just like whatever pops in, like as yeah. as something that like could could be a cool thing to, to, to do to add to a song or to create a song. Yeah. Um, like I know, I think that's you know Joe Morris has yeah. said. I mean, he's one of those people who's I don't know if you say primi primitivist or whatever, but um, but he was self-taught apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Which. And I think Fred said this, he's like, no one's really self-taught. Yeah, that was, he had a good phrase I, for that. And I've never talked about that with Fred, and it's odd because I have the same feeling. Like, I um, was listening to the, the NUR Jazz Morning, mm -hmm. and um, they were playing a, 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 where, it's, you know, he was playing on a nylon acoustic guitar. It sounded like definitely nylon string Who's acoustic. Uh, Joe Morris. Joe Morris was. And oh, it was just like a solo thing where it sounded like classical, you know, these like arpeggiated uh, things. and. Uh, and he was doing different alternating, you know, with the fingers and arpeggiations, and um, uh, and you know when they finished, I'm like, who is this? You know, I'd seen Joe Morris live. I'd seen him play with Tommy Drake and various people. Um, and you know, after hearing that from the D the DJ saying that, I'm like, oh, that's kind of different than his other jazz stuff, you know. But it's definitely like. All right, now wait a second. He learned about arpeggiation from somewhere. Even if you yeah. hear it on the radio, okay, you're learning it from somewhere. Right. You know, right? Um, I always felt like, you know, when I was a kid, like if I learn a run and if it's Miles Davis or if it's Steve Howe, like something he played or something when I was like a little kid, you know, first yeah. learning how to play guitar, that I'm learning it from them. Yeah. You know, even it's I'm not really self-taught necessarily, yeah. you know. So, yeah. I agreed with that sentiment, Fred. <laughs> Got that? Is this I'm being good? Uh, 
They're from um, Brighton Beach in England. Brighton, England. No. Um, they, uh, so this is something that would be, unless you happen to know this record, it'd be pretty hard to guess. Uh, but I could give you, I could give you hints. Let me just a little more, because I know it really sounds familiar. Good grief. Wait, I know what this is now. But it, it is just guitar and drums, right? There's yep. not like anything else that yep. I can hear in there. Um, it's not Gorge Trio. Right? Nope. Uh, no, no, I can tell it's not that. I know that's not that. But I just... I think, I think oh. you'd be more likely to guess the musicians than to guess the particular album. It's not a band name or anything, it's like just two people. Right. Um, oh god dang it, it's bothering me. <laughs> I don't know what it is. What is it? The, uh, so the, the drummer, I mean, you want, can I give you hints rather than just tell you? Or yeah. You to tell you? The drummer is uh, somebody I'm sure, we haven't talked about, but I'm sure you know from Chicago, although he lives in New York now, and used to play whatever not Kevin Shea again no no, no. He's, he's one that moved also. but it's uh, I mean it, it's Weasel Walter oh this is Weasel and but who's he playing with it's not Mick Barr no it's not that is this older no nope. oh it's I mean it's recent. not it's I mean it's from like 2008 or something oh so when he was in San Francisco no no this is in New York I mean yeah so I guess he was living in San Francisco at the time yeah that's right um, okay um, wait a second is it um, oh my god it's, well, it wasn't Spencer, right, that he's playing with. Um, Spencer C. Yeah, it's not. Uh, no. Um, who's uh, that other Pacific Northwest guy? No, it's, a New, it's New York. Oh. Somebody you would you would potentially have seen recently in Chicago if you had gone to it's the show. It's not Brandon Seabrook, is nope. it? Oh, I know it's not him. Same, same scene as Brandon Seabrook, though. I'm catching myself from giving it away by saying she. Oh, Mary. Uh, Mary Halverson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah God, yeah. Oh, that was. You know what I was just thinking of her like yeah. a minute ago. I was yeah. like, no, it's not Mary. Because she also she plays. She has a duo with Kevin Shea too, which is like this except where they both sing songs. Well, they've been playing. They played with each other a few times, right? Weasel and her have done stuff in New York, right? Yeah. Um, do they still play together? I don't know. I'm not yeah. sure what they're doing right now, but I mean, they yeah, they have at least a couple albums. I have an album of theirs also with Peter Evans. Oh, this is great. Yeah, I, I love Mary. I just think she has um, wonderful texture and yeah. just a nice... Um, it can be somewhat jagged, but then still mellifluous. I, I, I really like the tone. Yeah, because yeah, I was thinking, well, Mick, Mick Barr's just, you know, very busy. And, and yeah, she's got a lot more space in her playing. Yeah, which, and this has nice, like, dynamics, a little more, like... Which is funny, you know, I've talked about this with Weasel, I'm sure, or, or other people in New York about the whole static thing and the drone thing and yeah. stemming, we were playing DNA earlier, and a lot of that, a lot of that whole no-wave thing was, was you know, tr um, com like, coming from drone, like, being static. Yeah. Like, static, you mean, like, non-moving, like, non-rhythmic, or what do well, you mean static? Well, it, it moves, but it... it, it um, really keeps with sort of this consistent rhythm even though okay. there might be like 
emphasis in a different way, ac yeah. different accents. But you build on, like, say, one chord. I mean, this is the way the swans are, you know? Like, you build on one chord, and then you develop it into something that goes places, but you really stay pretty static. And I've always thought of the New York thing as being, as, uh, being very interesting with that. There's all these different, like, you know, um, Jonathan Cain doing his thing, February, which has uh, some friends in that. Um, and, uh, you know, so I've talked... And, and then, like, there's Kid Millions, mm -hmm. the Forever Man, or Man for it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that has this, of course, static thing, but it does does it differently. Mm -hmm. You know, Board of but, Magus does it differently. Uh, and so it's very, yeah, so so I was talking about Mick Barr, and somebody was talking about how static he, you know, how kind of, like, non-dynamic he is. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I thought that was the point, you know, was just, like, for that to be... Uh, really static. Yeah, minimalist. Yeah. So with Mary, what I like is, is it's not that you know, it's a whole different dimension of guitar playing, which uh, I appreciate both. Yeah. You know, yeah. no reason you have to choose. Oh well, yeah. I, yeah. I played with her. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yeah, this is like the, either the Ira Glass, or no, not this American Life, but, or... Um, yeah, that's what it's called. That's yeah. the one, yeah. Ira Glass. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, did she do something with Ira Glass? I don't know, she's on the Seth Meyers show now, though. She's a regular musician on there. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so that's cool. She's got that as a regular stint, and then I think she still is able to do her touring and stuff yeah. with Niffin and those guys. Um, yeah. I really love that first record, um, yeah. which I believe this was from the, the very first one in the in yeah, advance of Broken Arm. Yep. Um, How did, and you played it with her after that? It was upon the release of her. This is this, this is that, and this this is it, and she is it, and he is it, and they yeah. are it, and this is it, and this is what, you whatever know. it is. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea. What it is. I always forget the exact uh, order. Um, but I really enjoyed this. This record especially, just how it has this, like anything goes, kind of, sort of, almost like cut and paste feel with a lot of stuff, but it works, and when I figured like I could actually go on the tour, like do the CMJ and go on the tour, yeah. I had like four days. Yeah. I was going there and like a couple days, and then we had two days to practice, you know, before the first show. So like, I started with those songs, and then I went back to this you know, period, because she gave me like, a, I don't know, 15 songs or whatever as, as examples to learn. And I was looking at I'm like, wow, there, there's a lot of this like, you know, up and down, like finger tapping sort of stuff. Um, this stuff like Lightning Bolt does sometimes, or mm -hmm. some of those bands do that sort of finger yeah. tapping. Yeah, well, what are the other bands? I mean, yeah, there's some, I mean, definitely the bass player from Lightning Bolt does it, and of course Ian Williams did it. Yeah, she yeah. did. I would, but I don't hear that many. Oh, and obviously, yeah, Spencer from Hella. Well, the funny thing, playing CMJ then, uh, I was kind of looking forward to to playing with some of these alongside some of these bands that I thought were sort of interesting. Um, as far as the other bands that were all playing with us, I, you know, not that I was shocked because it was going on in Chicago at the time. Yeah. But whereas I thought some more interesting sort of prog things were happening with music, uh, really for the most part, and we did a lot of shows with Gang Dance on tour, so Gang Gang Dance sort of was part of some of this too, where it was this 
like late 80s kind of production well you know i'd say gang dance was kind of different i mean they came they came from a different starting point or whatever but all these other bands which had been like maybe noise bands and who knows maybe heavy metal i don't know what they were doing all of a sudden they're doing this stuff that sounds like mr mister and late yeah. 80s like the worst stuff of it and yeah. i knew like before i left up to that tour and to play with marnie um you know, this thing was going on. Like, there'd be these bands that I'd see at Empty Bottle, you know, a friend's band would be playing with them, and it'd be these young kids who just thought it was like they weren't born during this period, so yeah. they only knew it from radio. They're like, our love's in jeopardy kind of sound, like uh, the Greg Kinn band or something, or like, um, you know, Miami Sound Machine. Okay. Like, yeah. what's going on? And these <laughs> kids with mohawks are like at the Webster Hall in New York, just like going crazy with these bands doing this shit. And I just turned to Marnie, and she's like, yeah, I don't get it either. I'm like, yeah, I don't get it. And and Jim, uh, Jim Sykes was saying, like, yeah, I don't really, you know, uh, some of the bands were maybe trying to sound like Kate Bush, like classic Kate Bush. And I'm like, I don't, I do not see that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I do not see anything that, you know, in the 80s, uh, these things were very far separated, you know, like the late 80s, like... Um, they're they're like deep cuts on the radio now. It's like if you heard Journey songs or Fleetwood Mac songs from that period, yeah, yeah, it's not the stuff you generally hear on the radio because it's so bad and the production is so bad. And it's like one day I was in the like a cafe. I think it was a McDonald's cafe or whatever. I just had to go somewhere to have some space and 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 have the internet and be out of the house. And all of a sudden, I hear all this stuff, and I thought it was stuff from now. Yeah, but it was actually... But it was that stuff from the yeah. late 80s, that stuff that you won't hear on the radio as much anymore, because it's just so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the worst stuff that Miami Sound Machine made, or the worst stuff that Mr. Mister made, or when Spandau Ballet were not good anymore. Or, right. <laughs> or I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah the, the, it's all like, yeah, fetishizing a specific type of, like corny production and these kids were in the attire i mean they were trying to replicate that period and it was a thing yeah and you know for a moment it was sort of fun it was like okay i hated this stuff and maybe that's why they're we we hated this stuff and maybe that's why they're they're doing it it's a fun funny kind of thing um you know u.s maple our last tour was in 2007 i think it was in in england and um all these kids were you know they they were big fans of us maple um there's this area of london that we were staying in where there were all these new um you know it had been kind of a dangerous area but it was getting renovated and there were these new uh, bars where like a lot of dj parties were going on a lot of dance parties mm-hmm. and they're like well you, after the show they're like you have to stay for the dance party it's gonna be amazing yeah and it was all like the worst Van Halen songs of the late 80s with Sammy Hagar and like, you know, this Top Gun soundtrack or whatever, like ACDC when nobody remembers their stuff, you know, like that kind of stuff. And they were seriously into it. Yeah. They were like, you know, so I already had like this sort of like, uh, you know, I preparation for that, you know, confrontation at the CMJ during 2008. Right. Okay. Yeah. So then let's let, let me play the last thing. Be the exact opposite. Yeah. As far as far removed from that sort of music as you could probably possibly. <laughs> yeah.
this is more my school of thought. Is this Bunny Brains? Yeah. Um, is this um, Hate Wave? Yeah. Oh, no, that's more metal, like more. Uh, is this. Is this the Board of Amagus? Uh, is it something with scarcity of tanks? Yeah. Um, Japanese. Oh, oh, um, uh, oh. But it's uh, not Keiji Haino. Right, no, no, I didn't think it was Keiji Haino. Oh, sorry. Is it, um... Well, I know it's not the Shaka Shakahachi surprise, Shakahachi surprise thing that they... Space Trickings did with a bunch of different bands, right? Uh, is it, um, um... Did I forget the name? Oh, no, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, if uh, you don't know the guy's name, it's... No, like, I, I, I can't, I just forget, like, Onoheide or something. Um, yeah, it's, uh, his name is Masayuki Takayaki. Masayuki Takayaki, okay, yes, I know. Yeah, yeah. Of course you, I know. It's okay. Japanese, it's the, one of the four, you know, one of the strong people in, in Japanese. Japanese, yeah. yeah. Do you, did you, uh, do you, like, have you listened to, or did you listen to a lot of the, like, whatever, canonical guitar noise kind of stuff? Um, like, there's this... Yeah, you know, like, back then, um... I was back when, like back in the. This is from the early nineties. This is this. Album, I mean, he's got a ton of music. This particular thing is from '83. Oh right, so it's before the nineties. I'm just saying it's earlier period. Oh, earlier than yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah, um, I was just thinking it's it's either 1990 or before. Yeah. Um. A lot of times, like, I'd hear stuff like this on college radio, and I wouldn't remember the name of it or whatever. Well, it's hard to, I mean, it's, like, so, like, maximal, and just, like, but the, like if you listen to this, it's hard to, like, remember what part it is. Or but, see, I, I really love when people can do this oversaturated noise and do it, because it's hard to do noise music right. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, what, there, what makes this right, do you think? Well, the fact that it's so oversaturated with sounds and things... Um, there's no space. It's hard to hear where things are coming from, and it's got a density where you know you. It's not really like you're hearing the single note so much. Yeah, not at all. It's got a consonance that like is um, almost becomes mellifluous in itself because yeah. it's just such a, a wall. Yeah. And it's almost droning. Right. In a way. Um, which with a lot of that. Japanese story, stuff like with Mertzbau or like early White House and stuff. Yeah, you know, I really love that type of noise. Um, and there was like haters in the mid you know, uh, from the West Coast. I think they were from the West Coast, right? Um, with GK Jupiter Larson and those guys. Uh, a lot of it, you know, you know, this, what's nice about this too is like they do it live and it's not cut and paste stuff. Yeah with uh, a lot yeah. of masks. Yeah, this is two guitar players. Yeah, basically. I mean, it's just, it's a good amount of noise for <laughs> two guitar players. Um, yeah, I mean, people can say what they will, you know, what they will about noise music and when you have a, a shitstorm like this. Yeah. Um, but to make a good shitstorm like this, it's not that easy necessarily. And, and they're doing things in a methodical way, I'm sure. Uh, at least uh, if I was doing this. Okay. 